0: Welcome to episode 7 of Storm the Norm, the fortnightly podcast where we pick up norms that come in the way of businesses succeeding in a disruptive world. I am Narayan. And I am Anisha. Anisha, let's mix it up a little this week, shall we? Let's talk about things that can actually never mix. Oil and water, professional and personal lives, Italy and ketchup. (laughs) Okay, okay. the last one is, it's not like they can never mix, but I propose that they should never mix. There should be a law against it, but that's not quite the pair we are talking about this week, are we?
1: I'll reserve my judgment on the idli and ketchup as a pair. (laughs) But you're right. There's another evergreen pair that convention holds can never mix, Hmm. business and politics. In fact, Prime Minister Modi, during his first election campaign, had made it very popular by saying government has no business being in business. And that's the norm that we want to storm this week. What's been their history together, business and politics? Can they have a future together? Can they mix? Should they mix? If at all, then what's the right or the wrong way?
0: That's a lot of questions. Okay, I'm going to slow it down and ask you to get to the fundamentals to begin with as always. What is this norm about and why is it worth storming now?
1: So let me tackle the second part first. Okay, hmm. This norm about business and politics mixing... Has always been there. Mm. But it's been kind of anonymous and invisible. Okay. It's never been this in your face. Mm. This has always happened away from the public eye. Mm. Okay, mm. Uh, But increasingly, business and politics can't seem to stay away from each other. They are almost into each other. <laughs> to an extent that it's become... Almost uncomfortable. Hmm. Okay. Very visible issues today impact how business is run, how they present themselves to the world and how they live up to this whole purpose-led reputation. In this world of instant connections, social media, channels screaming at you all the time, Hmm. it's easier for the public to see where the two are mixing, how they are mixing, Hmm. what's the kind of relationship that they have. It's on full public display. Okay okay and that visibility is making it apparent that businesses can no longer get away from being shallow in living up to a purpose
0: okay, that sounds like a new definition of pda like public display of i don't know if it's animosity or affection but <laughs> it's it's on public <laughs> display it
1: is you know <laughs> and the public is seeing more what you said animosity than affection mm. with each other
0: mm. so are we saying there is a certain inevitability to both the mix of business and politics, but also to that mixing being unhideable?
1: Like we said, it's just that it was invisible to the world. Right from the times of the Roman civilization to the recent elections, whether it is the Trump elections, India elections, you see the role that business and politics have played in each other's lives. So it is not whether the two should mix together. It is how they should mix together. And what should be the relationship that the two should enjoy, so that what we get as public is not a public display of animosity, but a relationship which is beneficial to the society at large.
0: This might be a topic for a full podcast separately, But it reminds me of uh, William Dunderbolt's most recent book, Anarchy, where he explores how the British East India Company became a proxy for the government. But in fact, it was a private company with a private army that took over India. um, But like I said, we'll explore that (laughs) separately. But it also seems like a good time to introduce our guest for today, with whom we will explore and explore this norm. Please welcome Dilip Cherian, a pioneer many times over. Dilip founded Perfect Relations, India's and South Asia's largest corporate image management advisory. For his unmatched experience and expertise as the image guru, he is much sought after by industry and governments alike on policy and polity matters. His words carry a lot of weight, but that's also because he measures them carefully before offering his opinion. So without further ado, welcome to Storm the Norm, Dilip thank you thank you yeah how do you see this norm of business and politics can never mix and what's your take on it just to start
2: okay let me begin by saying that the reason why there is a little hesitation of business and politics mixing is because of the fact that where they have mixed uh, at some stage there has been criticism and bandying about of the concept of crony capitalism. Mm. So business mixes with government for its own ends, for its own particular private end. Mm. So that has been the norm so far. So if you want to storm that norm, then you've got to see one of two paths that business is taking now. Mm. One is that business is actually now beginning in in a global sense to transcend government. Mm-hmm. And what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. If you take the five biggest companies in the world today, they're all in the tech consumer space. Right. All of them are accreting vast quantities of data, swallowing in everything that you are doing, and they're doing it on platforms which are beyond the reach of governments. So Facebook today is larger than any government in the world. Yeah, And between the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks and the Walmarts, etc. They're all accreting data on who you are and what you are. And today, the concept of these corporations intermingling with government is actually less important because they are bigger than the governments themselves. Oh, okay. So what happened with Trump and the elections? the accusations of what's happening in uh, Russia, other countries, is the triumph of big capital over the traditional, shall I say, borders which they would not dare to transcend. Mm. That's one. Mm. I think that the reason you're seeing pushback from the European Union, the reason you're seeing the American Senate hearings with the big four is that they are all concerned that have corporations actually made government redundant uh. and have they gotten bigger than government. But to come to the Indian context, I think that we are not in that field. And in India, while we need to think about this, if you want to understand how to play. So, for example, the the Ola's and the flipkarts are actually also transcending uh, governments in the sense that, one, they're owned by non-Indian capital and they are getting data on Indian consumers at Mm. every level. Mm. It's no longer a global phenomenon. In a very real Indian situation the government company
0: interrelationship is entering a completely new phase and we need to recognize that. Is that restricted to the new economy kind of businesses though? In a conventional sense it would be Mm. but the big difference that's happened in the
2: last 10 years mm. is the advent of giant global capital. So, with capital having cross borders, so today what is government most concerned about? Government is most concerned about how we look like to global businesses. And why is that important? It's not just that Moody's can raise the rating and destroy our hopes of attracting investment, but it's also because of the simple fact that when the World Bank announces an index of ease of doing business, it is not the ease of doing business so much for Indian businesses doing business in India, Mm. but it is seen as a measure of how easy it is for the average Japanese corporation, the average Korean corporation, the average European company to do business in India. And why is that important? It is important because global capital is deciding the ebb and flow of the lifeblood of industry which is capital. Mm. Mm. So in some senses this is a new phenomenon. It is partially triggered by the fact that over the last three years or four years we've had a slowing in the national savings rate. So the quantum of capital available for the kind of ambition we have is no longer sufficient to feed the beast. So you need to look at other capital And when other capital is being looked at, it takes its decisions based on where should I put my capital. Should I put it in Lesotho, should I put it in Lucknow or should I put it in, say, um, Phuket. And where it decides to put the capital, industry will head there. So it now becomes supranational and capital has already moved. So it is not just SoftBank and the Vision Fund, which is sort of sitting on huge quantities of money. But the sovereign funds of each of the large countries are also now forces of capital. Mm -hmm. And therefore, these are the ones on which big private companies are basing their hopes on. Whether it's Reliance hoping to sell equity to Aramco, or whether it is Adani trying to look for capital and partnership with the French oil giant Total. The fact is that each of these Indian global giants, Indian giants, not global giants, is looking for global partnerships which transcend government but which also require government to constantly ramp up our ranking, our credibility, our Moody rating etc. So there is a very critical link but the new supranationality of all of this is something that we have not seen before. Goes, yeah, goes also against the grain of the 10 years before that which was of this phenomenon called globalization. So now countries are trying to pull back their borders. Yeah. But now capital and information are transcending those borders. And we are not realizing that those forces are actually going to,
0: again, alter the norms under which we are working. So if we say that this mixing is inevitable, you know, business and politics cannot be separated, is there a right way to do it? Is there a yes, wrong way to do it? There is a right way to do it. Okay. Crony capitalism
2: is the wrong way to do it. I think that the right way to do it Is something that Indian corporations have shown an incompetence in. What industries and industrialists in India need to recognize is that going forward, much like the legal system, any government system will always lag the real economy and the real trends by about 10 years. So, your real contribution and your real way to integrate into government is by sharing the benefit of your expertise with government which will always be playing catch-up with a 10-year time lag with what's happening in the marketplace. So if you become a repository of information, so for example I have this friend who is probably one of the global leaders in solar energy who happens to be an Indian and when he talks to the government of India, they take him seriously because not only has he accreted very large market share, but he's willing to share whether for personal aggrandizement or otherwise is willing to share the benefit of his knowledge with them and they can pick and choose from among his suggestions. So he is getting more and more, shall I say, leverage with the government, but because he is parlaying not his need for more projects, but this desire to share whatever his learning in terms of expertise is. And I think this is the correct way. In the future, companies who want to influence government will have to perhaps use not the obvious think tank route. But actually, generously give off their top technical expertise and idea people into the government, not necessarily again on lien, but even just to help brainstorm, put a white paper together, and subject it to scrutiny for personal interest. But make sure that eighty percent of the time it does not have any element of personal interest, because uh, like. Companies ought to recognize that leaders in each segment of the industry need to behave like what's good for General Motors is good for America. So it's got to be that approach Hmm. and if that approach is taken, I think there's room for companies to
0: integrate themselves into government and you'll have long-term ramifications which are all beneficial for them. Is there also an element of reluctance? Is there also an element of let's wait and see what the others are doing and then we'll figure out? The big reason why
2: companies don't do it is because If we get aligned to this government and any government has a lifespan of 5, 10 or 15 years, what if the next government comes and sees us as being attempting a new version of crony capitalism. Mm. So you've got to make sure that whatever you do is in the public domain, Mm. is subject to scrutiny and is in the sense a white paper approach rather than
0: a stealthy note given at night to get yourself a mandate to do something. And, and what I am also hearing is, then there is no risk of being ideology driven Correct. Pact, Correct. Right. And then it doesn't matter who is running government. Yeah. Yeah? And
2: therefore you might benefit a little less,
0: but you are insulated a lot more. This might sound simplistic, but let me attempt this anyway. right? So it used to be that the age of crony capitalism meant, I am not even thinking of doing good. I am doing what is right for me. Then we have evolved into this, whether you call it a charade or at least this cover of doing well by doing good okay CSR being one tool to to do that what I'm hearing you say especially if you want to storm this now in a future-proof way is do well by a thinking ahead and doing right
2: what I'm what I'd like to define it is and I'm thinking of I'm shooting off the head, enlightened and educated capitalism so you are educating society and the government and you're enlightened because it's not interest for yourself And yet, it's capitalism. Mm. So, if you can do that, Mm. that would be the ideal way to do it at the moment. This is probably just one stage in the evolutionary process. But as I said, I see a sinister world in the future (laughs) where uh, it will be irrelevant whether you have to deal with government or not because you have superseded government. So, the age of surveillance capitalism, as the terrifying book says.
0: Wow. Okay, lots to chew on. Is there anything else you would want to add at this point? I think we've done. We've done justice to Just the understood. topic. Okay. So let's, let's <laughs> stop while we're still ahead of the curve. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank you, thank thank you, thank you. so thank much. You. What do you think, Anisha? There are some big, and I'm not exaggerating here at all, insights that the lip has offered up here. Not the least of which is that the one thing that can stymie businesses from mixing with politics in the right way is their competence, or rather, mm-hmm. the lack, lack of, of it. it. But I also take hope in the fact that he thinks there is a right way beyond various shades of chronic capitalism, what he called enlightened, educated capitalism. While there's a lot to absorb from what he said, what do you have to give to our audience and what stars to align for business and politics to mix in the right way?
1: I have three broad points to make here. This relationship between business and politics has to shift from being exploitative to being a more symbiotic relationship where the twain need each other but with a lot of healthy respect. Okay. Um, think about it. You know, they have been kind of opposite sides on many counts. Uh, politics is right-brained, emotional. Mm. Business is left-brained and factual. Mm. Politics is almost raw and rough. Business is structured and organized. Mm. Politics is ideology-based. Business is supposed to be ideology-neutral. Mm. And like we say, opposites attract. Mm. And that attraction Is what we need to get back if the two have to have a healthy relationship. Hmm. You'll be surprised. What comes to your mind when we say crony capitalism?
0: Currently just a couple of crooks getting together.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And do you know the word crony actually means comrade? It means buddy.
0: Wow. No, I, I don't think I would have ever gone back to that.
1: Can you imagine? Okay. It was meant to be buddy capitalism. And today that's become a capital of exploitation. Mm. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. Mm. So to that extent, business and politics have always had a kind of an illicit relationship with each other. Mm. Mm. Whereas it's meant to be a legitimate relationship. Mm. Just to build upon this, greed is the foundation of all business, is no more a perception. Mm. It's actually a reality. Mm. What is visible in front of us, the number of current frauds that we are battling with, be it mm. the Nida Modi, ILNFS, DHFL, PMC Bank, in full public display, mm. that's become the norm today. Mm. Greed is driving business, mm. survival is driving politics, mm. and this total trust deficit mm. and the relationship has become that of a chore police. You know, which brings me to the second point. Mm. The relationship needs to move from enforced regulations to self-regulations. To control some of these misgivings that are happening today, the government has come in with a heavy hammer approach, Mm. using hard powers of investigations and punishments. Mm. Instead, what businesses need to do is to become more self-regulated, foster more transparent self-policing kind of regulations. We know that capital and regulations are allergic to each other mm. in many ways. Mm. Financial capital will flow readily to markets that provide the greatest security with the least amount of regulations. That's true. And if we do not balance this out, social media is going to become the new regulator. Mm. We have seen when extremities happen, mm. Mm. social media starts playing the most democratic role mm. of balancing the powers of of greed on one side and survival on the other side. There is today at least a mechanism available in the form of social media that can play an arbitration role between politics and
0: business. Yes, yeah, so feels like there's a slippery slope on either side if they don't uh, manage to find that in-between yes. ground. Yes, Okay.
1: the relationship between politics and business has become that of inequanimity. Politics is superior to business. Mm. But look, as society, we need both. Mm. And if one operates from a point of superiority and the other from a point of subservience, the people are at the receiving end. So that is my third point.
0: And I think that connects back to the point that Dilip also made about how increasingly in the new economy, especially with tech uh, accreting large amounts of data, they are transcending government. Absolutely, so you can't have imbalance on the other other end either.
1: So the reverse is true. Today, business has that power yeah. with the data
0: yeah. to yeah. tilt
1: the balance in yeah. their favor. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and if both of them are going to play this whole power equation game, mm. uh, the losers are going to be the public at large and the society at large. Mm. Just coming to my final point, the only point of convergence between business and polity is when they come together for the common good.
0: Sounds a bit like pushing up a boulder uphill, but I like the optimism which both you and Dilip have spoken about this. As with every episode, there are many things that I've picked up from storming this norm. But if I had to highlight one, it would be this. The question is not if business and politics can mix. In fact, to succeed in a disruptive world, they should. But to do so, Business must use their market-driven advantage that they are usually 10 years ahead of government to everyone's benefit, not just their own. And likewise, politics should set ideology aside for the public good as much as possible in this relationship. And that way, business can insulate themselves against ideology-driven political relationships, also also against insinuations of crony capitalism in the negative sense that it has got. And likewise politics can rise beyond uh, short-termism and benefit themselves and and all stakeholders over there. Yeah. So that brings us to the end of Episode 7 of Storm the Norm. This is Narayan and Anisha signing off for now. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud by just searching for Storm the Norm. We'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Thank you and talk to you soon.
1: Thank you.